0: Good morning. <laughs> you like rocking chairs? I like rocking chairs. Especially around Christmas time. We love Christmas music that's been playing in our house probably since October. Ringing throughout the halls, deck the halls with bowels of holly la 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 we like christmas ribbon and in our living room we have a big christmas tree and stephanie decorated it all beautifully on a dime she's really creative and witty like that and our kids are dancing around looking at all the decorations the lights and most of you have been busy shopping probably maybe some of you crazies went on on black friday like i won't look <laughs> no my wife finds good deals so, we like the shopping, we like all the music, we like the decorations, and, and yet through all of that, though, I want us to recall the heart of Christmas, what Christmas is really all about. The heart of Christmas, through all of the decorations and the music, and we enjoy all of that, and it's not bad, it brings warm memories, like hot chocolate, to my soul. But the heart of Christmas is really all about Jesus Christ, And all throughout the Bible, we we don't take the Bible here as a collection of fables or tales. We take the Bible as God's grand narrative of redemption and his coming kingdom, the very words of God. Every page of Scripture is is holy, sacred word from God. And so the Bible declares all throughout its pages, Genesis to Revelation, the story about himself, about God. God himself, it's, yeah, there are a lot of characters in the Bible, characters for sure. David, the decisions he made. Abraham, the choices he made. Esther, her courage. Ruth, her perseverance. Joseph. The Bible's full of stories of people, but it's all pointing towards one person ultimately, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's God's grand story pointing all the readers to Jesus to the fulfillment. It begins with this promise, and it ends with a promise to the reader. And yet we can get so busy with all the decorations and the music and the ribbon and the shopping that we forget about the heart of Christmas. And this morning, we're going to begin a series in the month of December, and it's going to go actually just beyond Christmas Day to December 27th. But we're going to walk through God's great story. It's pointing us to the glories of his love and the good news of Jesus. And God is inviting all people to come home to his love. To come home to his love. The love in Jesus Christ, available, offered, God's inviting lost sinners to come home. And so this morning we're going to talk about promise, this promise the promise. There are many promises that God made in the Scriptures. Many, many promises, but there's one primary promise, one central promise. And then next week, we're going to talk about the fulfillment, and the, excuse me, the anticipation, the anticipation of that promise being fulfilled. And then just before Christmas Day, we're going to talk about the fulfillment of that promise. And then following that on December 27th, the consummation, that which is not yet, There are promises God has made that are not yet. Although we have received Christ, most of you here, maybe not all of you, but most of you have received the promised one, we look ahead to his second coming. And so, let's pray together as we begin this series, The Heart of Christmas, Coming Home to God's Love, and we think about promise and anticipation and fulfillment and, and the consummation of God's love, his kingdom to come. Let's Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you with grateful hearts. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for the love, the truth, the grace that you have made known to us through the pages of your book, the Bible, how good you are, your great plan of redemption for lost sinners to come home to your love to be saved from sin. Lord, we pray that you would renew our hearts in your truth today. For those of us who are in your family, who've come home yet need to be reminded of what home is all about and the heart of Christmas. Oh, Lord God, renew our vision, our understanding and our appreciation for your love and for the promise. And for those here this morning, perhaps in this room, in the sound of my voice, or down in the venue where others are worshiping, we pray, O oh God, that those who do not know you, who haven't come home, they're, they're still lost, dead in their sins, they're, they're searching, they're looking, we pray, O oh God, that you would draw them as only you can do to the glories of your love in Jesus Christ. Today, we pray that would happen. To the praise of your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. All of us have made lots of promises, haven't we? I've made lots of promises. You've made lots of promises. The trouble is, when we say, I promise, sometimes, maybe not all the time, but sometimes we fail to keep our promises. So, we made a promise to Everlyn. That if she had no accidents, with a certain daily activity that happens more than once a day, that she, after two weeks of not having any accidents, would get a princess dress. And she did not forget about that promise. She reminded us all the time, Papa, if you can get a princess dress... I went another day. I went another day without accents. I, I, when am I going to get my princess dress? Okay, it's almost time, Everlyn. And she, she did it, and she got her princess dress a couple weeks ago. And we were so happy, and she was so happy. We fulfilled our promise to Everlyn. But <laughs> Hudson lost a tooth, a tooth that he'd been wiggling for, for two months. It was really getting kind of old about hearing about the tooth. But his tooth was wiggling and wiggling and wiggling and wiggling. Is it ready to come out? He was, Papa, is it ready to come out yet? Mommy, is it ready to come out yet? No, it's not ready yet. It's not ready. You'll know. It'll just fall out. And so this went on and on and on and on. And finally the tooth came out, and we rejoiced with great rejoicing around our house. And then we had some friends over, friends from church here, for dinner, and we talked about how, okay, Hudson, put your tooth under the pillow, and we promise that when you wake up in the morning, there'll be something special underneath your pillow. And then he went downstairs and put his tooth under the pillow. And then we were joking with our friends that came over. Wouldn't it be so bad if we forgot to put something under there and remove the tooth? And the next morning, <laughs> there's nothing under the pillow of his tooth. And Hudson was such a good sport about it. He didn't say anything until after school and after dinner. He said, Papa, um... um my tooth is still under the pillow. (laughs) I'm sorry, Hudson. I know I promised. And we fail to keep our promises on a regular basis. We really do. If we're honest, you and I have to admit that we make a lot of promises, but we sometimes fail to keep our promises. And in a world of broken promises, of unmet expectations, of anticipation, of promises being fulfilled, and then... Those promises not being fulfilled. Some of you, in the, in the most severe way, have had, been, have had promises made to you by a spouse or by a mom or a dad, and those promises have not come true. Promises made by a grandma or a grandpa, and those promises have not come true. We live in this world of broken promises, and often when you get a little older and maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 on up, you start to become cynical, and you start to just not count on promises being fulfilled. Well, people make a lot of promises. My dad forgot to put a quarter underneath my pillow when I had my tooth under there. You know, you're just going to do the same thing. And when that happens, we begin to doubt if any promise is really going to come true. Even maybe God's promises. God has made a lot of promises in Scripture. But how do those promises come to bear in your life? And there's one primary, central promise that rings throughout. Genesis to Revelation. And how do you and I respond to that promise? Is it sort of with cynicism or ambivalence? Maybe a little doubt that you don't want to admit because you're in church right now? People of Israel received promises from God. We, the people of God, grafted in by grace, not replacing Israel, but being a part of God's covenant love now in Jesus Christ, grafted in by grace, as Paul beautifully explains in his letter to the Romans, chapters 9 through 11, God has now made us sons of the promise by grace, by mercy, by his divine kindness, but we face a lot of problems, just like the nation Israel, who God has not forgotten, but many times they shouted out, God, have you forgotten us? In Genesis 3.15, there's a hint of a promise, a hint of the good news. Your seed will be at war with you. God is prophesying about what's going to happen to the snake, the serpent, Satan. He will crush your head, God says. There's this hint of, of a a rescuer to come. And then in Genesis 9, God makes a covenant, a promise with Noah. He says, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant, a promise with Abraham that through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Come into God's divine blessing through Abraham's seed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And more promises come God makes a promise with King David 2nd Samuel chapter 7 God makes this promise that your see your this dynasty this throne will never lack for a king that your your kingdom that I'm giving you David this this reign this throne it will never end that the davidic dynasty will not end but but then years go by when the kingdom divides Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and it all falls apart. it seems God made this covenant with David, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Noah, and people years later look back at what they knew God said to David, and they wonder if God is really remembering his promise, God, are you going to?" Bring us a rescuer, one who will sit on the throne of David and rule with justice and righteousness like you promised. Because right now, all the rulers are wicked, unrighteous, unjust. So these promises build. And yet we face problems. Turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23 This is an interesting place to go, I think, for a Christmas series. Some of you are just maybe expecting for us to turn immediately to Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2 or Luke chapter 3. But Jeremiah 23 and and Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 40, there's all these promises from God through his mouthpiece, the the prophets. The prophets talk about God's promises And so in Jeremiah 23, we're going to see this problem surface. What the people, I want us to feel the tension. I want us to feel this problem going on, that there are unjust rulers. For years now, Judah has been ruled by men like Manasseh for 50 years. He was this pagan idolater, cruel, vindictive ruler. He was not following in the righteousness of his forefathers David and Solomon. No, Manasseh was a wicked, wicked ruler. Did not fear God. Then on down the line, uh, Jehoaz and Jehoiakim. And then Kaniah. There's another, another name for him, Jehoiachin. He only served three months as king. In Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8, it starts out with this woe. And we just finished up a series in Habakkuk, and there were five woes. Remember that in Habakkuk chapter 2. And it means final judgment. You're as good as dead. God's pronounced final judgment. Woe on you. This is irreversible. Nothing is going to change us. This. this is the end for you. And Jeremiah 23 verse 1 begins with a woe. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Yahweh. Manasseh. Josiah followed Manasseh, and he, when he recovered the, the book of the law, and they read it, and there was this great revival that swept across the land, and Jeremiah the prophet was a part of that history. Josiah's reign, but then Josiah dies, and then the next three kings, wicked, unjust, not God-fearing. And so these shepherds, shepherds, quote, it's a picture of, These kings are supposed to be guiding, protecting, tending, attending to. It's this Hebrew word, "p'kad," attending to. The ones that God has given them to care for, and they're not. Instead, the sheep are just scattering here and there. They're not following Yahweh, and they're they're under oppression. They're they're afraid because they're not being taken care of. Look back at chapter 22 chapter 22 of Jeremiah, God makes a promise, but this one is a negative one. This one is a negative one. Jeremiah 22, verses 24 and following, it says this, as I live, declares the Lord, even though Kaniah, that's another word for Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. Meaning, if you were the most important possession I had, I, I would discard of you. And I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you will die. But as for the land to which they desire to return, they will not return to it. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, shattered jar? Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land that they had not known? O oh, land, land, land! Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down, childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in, Ju- in Judah. This is, this is very important here because the line from David, the Davidic dynasty, was supposed to be carried on. Remember God's promise? There'll be a man on your throne. Jehoiakim, he has the son, Jehoiachin. And he doesn't fear God. And according to the Chronicles, God's saying, write this down, consider this man childless. He actually had seven sons, but they're not eligible to be king. Cut off. Sorry. The line from you is never going to sit on the throne of David. Never, never, never. Ever again. Judgment. God is going to deal with unjust rulers. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, now this is verse 2 of chapter 23, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds, these are those post-Josiah rulers, and even looking back at Manasseh and his, his wicked rule, those who are tending my people, there's an interesting word play here, don't miss it, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, it's this word attending, pachad. They're supposed to be taking care of my people. You have scattered my flock. It's like they're just running through there like a bull or like wolves, destroying them. You've scattered my flock and driven them away. And have not attended to them. They're not taking care of them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. It's all the same word. You're supposed to be attending to God's people. Instead, you're scattering them, running through them like wolves, destroying them, wreaking havoc. You're supposed to be taking care of them. God says, I'm going to take care of you. That's how we would say it. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of you because you're not taking care of what I care about. The people in Judah were either following Following these unjust, anti-God rulers, and that way they're being scattered. They're not being led. They're not being led in righteousness. They're not being taught the law of God. These kings were to be teaching and leading the people in the way of truth, and instead the people are running in all kinds of directions. And the hoofbeats of of the Babylonians is ringing on the horizon. The sound of the hoofbeats coming. The Judah's going to be taken. Jehoiachin would only last three months on the throne and he'd be hauled off into captivity. History proves that exactly what God promised here would happen to Jehoiachin would happen. And nobody from his line would ever sit on the throne, never could be king. But God gives a promise. God gives a promise. Verse 3, Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the country, all the countries where I have driven them, and, and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to judge you shepherds because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. This will be, end, this will be put to an end. You're not going to shepherd my people anymore, and I'm going to bring them back. God's going to be the one to shepherd his people don't miss that. I'm going to bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. They won't be scattered. They'll be gathered. Verse 4, I will raise up. There's two parts to God's promise. He will gather and then he will raise up shepherds over them and they will, they will tend. They will attend. See that? They will attend to them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor any will be, well, nor will any be missing. Declares the Lord, because God's going to watch over them, and God's going to appoint good, righteous, just, merciful, God-fearing shepherds. Shepherds of His choice. It's interesting too that perhaps these Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim, they were kings, but they weren't really God's choice. They were. God certainly allowed them to be put in place. God allowed them to rule. But they they had been appointed by their own device or by even a foreign warlord put in there. And God's going to appoint his own shepherds. But you and I face the same tension. I want us to feel the longing, the longing that a person in Judah might have felt. When your property's being taken away or you hear military forces coming to run through your land or you you've been taxed and taxed or your your children are now worshipping idols and, and you feel this problem weighing weighing heavy and you and I even though we're not Israel and America isn't the chosen people you and I face this problem you and I face this problem of unjust rulers, and we face the brokenness of this world, and we long for someone to come and mend the brokenness, and 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 bring healing, bring restoration, bring peace, bring peace, when there is seemingly no peace. Mark Twain said something kind of humorous. He said. It could probably be shown by facts and figures that there is no distinctive, distinctly natively American criminal class except Congress. <laughs> Our problems seem probably, though, rather insignificant relative compared to what other brothers and sisters in Christ are facing around the world. The attack, the rejection, the persecution, the ridicule, the taxation, the abuse—the list goes on and on and on. We face these problems. So the people of God, Judah, they're, they're, they they begin to hear. They they look back on what God said to David and and Abraham and and Noah, and, and they look and they hear what now God is saying through Jeremiah that God is going to appoint shepherds to gather them and to raise up raise up leaders and to take care of them and do what only God could do. But then God goes on here. Look in verse 5 of chapter, chapter 23. Behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord "'Our righteousness. "'Therefore, behold, the days are coming,' declares the Lord, "'when they will no longer say, "'as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel "'from the land of Egypt, "'but as the Lord lives who brought up "'and led back the descendants of the household of Israel "'from the north land "'and from all the countries where I had driven them, "'then they will live on their own soil.'" That there's going to be one, not just shepherds, plural, but a shepherd, the righteous branch. And this idea of a righteous branch is mentioned in Isaiah. It's mentioned in Zechariah chapter 6, that there's one from whom uh, uh, the, in a line with the Davidic line that God had promised that's going to sprout up, that's going to be the one who will reign, who will rule, God will rescue, that justice will be served and a rescuer is coming Rescuers coming. And just as the people of Israel in the Old Testament longed for a Savior, longed for a rescuer to come, you and I today still long for that rescuer to come. i miss this. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. There's a partial fulfillment here and the Bible students here, all of you who have been serving the Lord and reading and studying Scripture for decades and decades, you'll say, wait a minute. Well, people of God, Israel, they came. They came and God brought them, gathered them out of the land of Babylon. They came back. But there wasn't perfect justice and righteousness, was there? There wasn't this perfect king. And Israel didn't dwell perfectly in security. And in Judah, there wasn't peace reigning over the whole, the whole land. And even still today, you look at the nation of Israel, and there's, there's not perfect peace at all. so it must be about someone else. Not not Zerubbabel. Certainly not Zedekiah. Zedekiah was a king in the uh, post-Josiah reign in the lines of kings. And Zedekiah, his name meant the, the Lord, our righteousness in a way. But he wasn't righteous, that one. God pronounced judgment on him back in chapter 22 as well. So who is this speaking of? Now, all of us, looking at, looking at all the, the prophets, especially the major prophets, but the minor prophets, you see these, these passages about one coming, a rescuer coming, God's promise, and it's sort of like a, a, a book that children read where each page builds on the next one, and when you see one page, it's just a partial piece of the picture, and so sometimes when you're reading passages from these prophets, you go, I wonder, is that, a, is that about Jesus, or is it about somebody back then? Was this fulfilled back then or is it fulfilled today? And so it's sort of like this picture book that one page lays on top of the next page and the next page and the next page. And when you finally get to the Gospels, you see, well, this is all about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Some of you haven't read children's picture books in a while. Where each page adds to the the full portrait. And then... When Jesus explains to his followers on the road to Emmaus, he opens up Moses and all the prophets to them and that it all points to him and their light bulb turns on and they say, wow, this is all about Christ. This all points to Jesus. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 and through 7. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle of tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. The battle will be done. The battle will not be any longer. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is all pointing to the one we, and some scholars will argue, well, perhaps there was a child born back then and he was a partial fulfillment of this text, but all scriptures to be interpreted in the light of scripture and so when we look back at the promises of god and how he fulfilled these promises in jesus it restores our hope for the future coming the yet coming of jesus christ and that's what chapter 9 here is all about it's his birth but it also points to the day when he will rule on the earth That God has made a promise, a promise to his people that justice will be served and rescue will come through the rescuer through this promised one. The purpose of these promises is for our hope to be restored in the problems of life. In the the moments when we doubt, God, are you there? Are you remembering our situation? The people of Israel looked And they wondered, is he coming? And we're going to talk about that anticipation next week, even as they looked, and they looked, and then 400 years of silence and the the Maccabean Wars and all of this stuff going on, and yet nobody is reigning with justice and righteousness on the throne of David, and they're wondering, is he going to come? Is he going to come? Is he going to come? And in the darkness, you wonder, you still wonder, is Jesus going to come? Yet God's promises fulfilled in the past are a promise and a model for what he will do in the future. Just as Christ came as a little baby and though the people of Israel did not understand why Messiah would come and did not even see him as the Messiah because he came in a lowly manger outside of a sort of outcast little town. The pronouncement was made to shepherds, outcasts of society, is this Jesus of Nazareth really the Messiah? And yet many, many looked and they beheld they beheld the glories of God's love in Jesus Christ, and we look back at Christ's first coming, and Christmas is always about the first advent and, and the second advent. Because as we look back on the promises of God fulfilled in the past, our hope is restored for the promises yet to be fulfilled in the future. And so, for you and I today, what this means here is that the promise of God, God's promises that he has made, that the government will rest on Christ's shoulders, and that there will be one, like it says in Jeremiah 23, that there will be one, a righteous branch who will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land, this one, and there will be peace and security, and there won't be any scattering again. That God's promise gives us power to persevere when our problems propel us to fear. Many of you wonder you you might be afraid of what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our government. And when I was a teenager, and my when I was and out into my college years, I was involved in a lot of conservative politics and. And a friend of mine, his dad, was a state representative, and so I helped him run all three of his campaigns until his term limit was up. And, and then I helped out with state elections and national elections. And and a lot of friends of mine, and, and I believe that if we just got the right man into office, then the immorality and the degradation and the deterioration in our country could be turned around. If we just got the right men. But many of those people that we helped campaign, and they got elected. And they made good promises. They, they built their campaign around promises of turning America around and bringing justice and ruling in righteousness. But it seemed like even if we got 100 men, not even just one, they still really couldn't turn things around. But you know what? My friends and I had one thing right, that if we have the right man, the right man, and his name is Jesus Christ, the God-man, he will come and he will completely rule with justice and righteousness in the end. And when we're faced with problems in our life right now, problems of persecution, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, and we face rejection maybe in our country, in our workplace, in our families, and maybe you have a sibling or a cousin who's now calling himself or herself an atheist and you're worried about that and you're wondering what's going on, you can look back on what God has done in the past and you can look forward in what God has promised and believe that he's faithful and that he's true and all his promises will come true because he is true and just. And you can persevere when your problems may prompt you, might propel you to be afraid. You want to do a little math? A little math now. No. Maybe you want. God is greater than your problems. God is greater than your problems. And because you, if you're in Jesus Christ and you are now a son or a daughter of the promise, you're linked to God and your problems aren't greater than you because God will see you through your promises or your problems, whatever you're facing the persecution, rejection, issues, pain. Sometimes. Boy, it's been a long time, but I've been on some train rides, and in the wintertime, I want, to see you, I want you to see this picture of a, of a train plowing through huge drifts of snow. We have this plow on the front, and all the weight, the energy force coming from that engine is going to plow through that snow. Nothing's really going to stop it. Behind this, obviously, there's a whole line of train cars. Some of them may even be passenger cars. When I was a young boy, I went to the Agawa Canyon up in uh, Ontario, northern Ontario, and this railway is called the Ogoma Central Railway. In the wintertime, you can take that train, or at least years ago, you used to be able to take that train in the winter. In some pictures, they, they show the train riding along the tracks, and there's huge piles of snow on either side, and a train with a huge plow on the front I have to go before that train, or maybe even equipped with a plow, and they're going through it. And in the problems that you and I face... When we are linked to God, he's going to see us through. That doesn't mean all your problems are going to disappear. That doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect or all happy or prosperous or filled with wealth. It doesn't, God doesn't promise that in this life, but he has made a promise that there's one on whom the government will rest. And his name is Jesus Christ, and we can trust him, and God is going to see you through it. And so it's like we're in that passenger car looking ahead, and there's this huge drift of snow, and yet God is the one who's going to see us through it. He is going to not cause us to, to falter, to crash, when we're linked to him, your problems are not greater than you because your problems are not greater than your God, and you can trust him for that. I made a, a lot of promises to, to Stephanie. This is a, a book she gave me when we, were, when we were dating or courting, as you might prefer. Or, and, and she wrote 90 pages of letters to me in this. Prayers, mostly, what she was thinking about, what she was praying about for me. And then she handed it to me, and there were about 15 pages left. So after we were engaged, I wrote letters to her Excuse me, before we were engaged. This one, we have a few of these. So before we were engaged, all the way up to December 31st, 2007, I was writing letters to her. And then this last one says, My Stephanie Anna, looking back across these past nine months through each confirmation and God-willed sequence, feeling great love for you and knowing you so much more, hearing the responses of every single elder, mentor, parent, and sibling, Brings me to a conclusion, you know, I'm kind of rational with all this. Brings me to a conclusion, a simple one, it may seem, but one with great implication. <laughs> Cattell was going to seminary at the time. I desire with all my heart to say yes to you and no to everyone else. Through our love and commitment to each other, I know we will bring great glory to the author of our story, for it is only by his grace that I love you as I do faithfully yours, your Michael forever. On the eve of a new year, will you, my dear Stephanie, be my beloved forever? Smiley face. <laughs> it's a little cheesy now. I'm looking back on it, and so on December 31st, New Year's Eve, I proposed to Stephanie on one knee outside the governor's, Ma- governor's mansion in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then and then I handed her the book, and she wrote with all my heart, "Yes!" Exclamation point. But a promise with my, with my mouth isn't good enough. You have to have something, right, man? You can't just say, I promise I'll be yours forever, but I gave her a ring. I gave her a ring as a symbol of my promise that I'm going to be hers forever until death do us part. And, and she gave me a ring on our wedding day. God has given us promises from Genesis to Revelation, but a promise that the one who came in Bethlehem so many years ago is coming again. He has come. He will come again. That's the, that's the song of God's people. For the last 2,000 years, Christ has come. Christ is coming again. You can say it with me. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. And the song that rings through all the problems of life is that we know our rescuer is coming. And he's given us a promise. And he's given us symbol and even all the promises here in the pages of this book his story and it all is pointing to him and his grand redemption for all those he has called his own all who place their trust in him all who have received the promised one are now sons of the promise and we have peace in him even through all the problems we can persevere because we know he's with us and he'll see us all the way to the end and the government will rest on his shoulders and I want to invite some of you, maybe here this morning, and you're here because it's Christmas time, and maybe a neighbor or a coworker invited you, or a relative, and you've never received the promised one for yourself. You've never received Jesus Christ as your savior. You've you've never recognized that your sin separates you from God, completely separates you from God because God is holy and just and righteous and, and you're not. And so you need someone to rescue you. You need the rescuer, the promised one who came as a little baby in the manger but to live the sinless, perfect life and died on the cross in your place, taking all the just wrath of God on his shoulders and he was buried and he rose again and he's coming again. And all those who have put their full trust in him, the promised one, are now brought to the Father. First Peter 3.18 says this, for Christ died for sins, the just one for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So that we might come home. Come home to God's love. And God is inviting you this morning, if you are not in his home, not in his family, you're separated from God, you can turn this morning and you can trust in the glories of God's love offered in Jesus Christ by recognizing your own sinfulness, that you're lost, you're a person in darkness, and light has come in Christ. If that's you this morning, I want you to think about that really seriously, soberly, consider Christ. There's another interesting piece, and I'm going to close with this, but only Jesus could be the righteous branch. Only Jesus perfectly fulfills the promise because in Luke chapter 3, as Luke chronicles the, the lineage of Jesus, he points out that Jesus, Jesus' Jesus, ancestry is linked not to Jehoiachin, the guy with the funny name. See, Jehoiachin's Keniah's line was cut off. Joseph, his earthly father, adoptive father, was a part of Jehoiachin's line. So legally... Jesus is in the right line, but that line was cut off. But now righteously, as the only perfect heir to the throne, Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, whose line all the way goes back to the son of David named Nathan and Shealtel, and that's the line of Christ. And so only Jesus Christ can be the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And all these prophecies, then when you see them laying on top of each other like this, like in this book, it all does point to Jesus Christ, that only he could be king. Would you bow your heads with me? There's so much more we could talk about. But right now, I want us to think about how God's story is all about him. Yes, there's lots of characters, lots of people in God's story. But they're broken, sinful people. Abraham, Abraham had to believe. Abraham had to believe, and God credited it to his account as righteousness when he believed God's promise. And God is calling on sinners here at North Park Baptist Church who've never received and believed to believe, and God will credit it to your account as righteousness. Because the promised one, the righteous branch, you can receive him and then you can say, he's the Lord, our righteousness. Because your righteousness isn't in yourself, it's in him. That title, the Lord, our righteousness, points to Christ's deity. This one has to be divine. He is God, and he is perfect, and intrinsically a part of who he is is perfect righteousness, and he alone can sit on his throne. And God invites you to receive the promised one and become a part of the family of promise this morning if you've never done that. The children, a teenager, a college student, an adult, Maybe you've been a part of this church attending for years and you've never received the promised one. God is inviting you to do that, and here's how you do it. You simply recognize your sin. You turn from your own way. You recognize you can't earn your way to God. You can't merit your way to God. You can't figure it out on your own, and you turn to the promised one, the rescuer, Jesus Christ, who came and who's coming again to judge the living and the dead. So you turn, you repent, and you believe. That's the call of the gospel. You repent, and you believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, and that all the promises of God say yes in him. You do that this morning, if you've never done that before. You might pray a prayer like this. God in heaven... Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ as a little baby to live a sinless, perfect life, to die on the cross in my place because I deserve death. And he rose again. I believe that today, God. And right now, I put my total trust And your promised one, Jesus Christ. To forgive me of all my sin. To make me a son or a daughter of the promise. And to give me eternal life in him. If you just prayed that prayer or in your own words expressed saving faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love to hear about it. Tell somebody around you this morning or talk with a pastor. For all the rest of us, let's pray who are in the family, who do believe, to believe in this one, the promised one. Lord God, we thank you so much for your mercy and kindness in Christ. We pray, oh God, that you'd restore our hope when all hope seems lost. We know you will see us through the problems of this life. You will bring us through persecution or rejection or famine or sword and to our final eternal home where we will fully behold your glory and your love. Give us a vision for proclaiming that good news to people around us. Give us a holy passion and boldness to declare the gospel Bring us back to the heart of Christmas this season to worship your son for who he is and to remember that as he came, so certainly he will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.